What's happening, everybody? I'm Nolan Tuck. Stacy Glover. You're listening to Cinema Parlor. Stacy, what's happening? Not much. How you been? I'm good. You're I'm... looking good over there. Got, yeah, got your you drink on? Of course. That's Thank what you. we do here. Yeah. Just just snugging, snugging up tight on a Saturday night. We got our... You know, you're going to do it again, aren't you? <laughs> you should be just all three. Well, this I feel like this is something we should have discussed beforehand, so... We're discussing I'm not it now. blaming it all on myself here. Well, I mean, you fucked up. You fucked up. How? I I can't I can't do this anymore. The show. <laughs> this is my last show, everyone. <laughs> Stacy flips him off on the mm-hmm. countdown to record. This yeah. time he did two fingers. Well, I was comparing my fingers to see if one was swollen or not, so I had both out. Melanie, welcome as uh the co-host. Uh, of the uh, cinema parlor. I mean, this is a big moment. I mean, she's on here like every episode for the last how many months? Well, that's fair. I just, you know, I think this is a good time to announce to the world that she's a part of the the team here officially, the broadcasting team, uh, per se. What are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking a Boulevard Berry Noir. This is a dark, tart, and crisp Sour ale with mixed berries. It's a nice color. It's it's very tasteful. I, I like it a lot. Got a nice sweetness to it as well as the, as the tart going on. What are you drinking over there? Founder's Breakfast Stout. It's okay. a delicious uh, double chocolate coffee oatmeal stout. Melanie, what are you having over there? I'm doing a Bloody Mary. Only my I do a spicy Bloody Mary, so I do a little bit mm-hmm. of um, cracked pepper, some garlic powder. And hot sauce. You got a hot pickle in that jar? Well, it's not a hot pickle. I have a pickle and some olives. Mm. And I also... um, You eat a lot of hot pickles? Spicy. Okay. I mean, it's spicy just because it's in the drink. It's not inherently spicy on its own. But it's a very spicy drink. And I'm using Bedlam Vodka. Very good. It's a very nice, Mm -hmm. nice mix. This doesn't really fit into the episode. I just wanted to... That's okay. Yeah. I wanted a savory over a sweet. Looks like a a nice drink. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? I've never done a Bloody Mary. Well, here's... Okay, so I have. I am not the biggest fan because I I personally don't don't love tomato tomato juice. Yeah, Yeah. tomato tomato juice. I've had one before. I can drink one. I just don't prefer them because... You don't like tomatoes. Like, you don't like Italian food. Like, you like pizza. Certain certain types of Italian food. Like, if, if I'm having a pesto, like a pesto sauce, I'm good with that. Like, if Father Corleone was serving you a big bowl of spaghetti... I mean, you wouldn't turn it down. Yeah, I, I'm down for spaghetti. You know, if you know, Polly's making me his homemade tomato sauce from Goodfellas. It looks delicious. I'm gonna try it. You know. Uh huh. Do you like tomatoes? No, not really. I don't. So like on a taco, on a burger. I mean, again, I've ate them before, but I I, I don't prefer them. Like I don't mind the taste, but texturally, I do not like them in stuff. It yeah. grosses me out. Like a salad. Cherry mm-hmm. tomatoes in a salad, you stab in, you eat, and they pop in your mouth. It makes me think of the thorax of a spider just mm. popping. It grosses me out. I like that. That's weird. I definitely, anytime I get a, a, like, a sandwich or a burger, I will always ask for no tomato. Yeah, or pull it off as yeah. soon as it comes. Yeah, in. I don't like them either. Uh, what has everybody been up to lately? Uh, I haven't done this section for a little bit, so, uh, Stacy, what have you been up to? Well, I finished Ultra Q. So, I'm done with that. It was a good show. I recommend people check it out. Nolan got it for me for a Christmas gift. 
Yeah, so I started watching Ultraman, and I'm enjoying that. Um, outside of that, I've been trying to get back into playing, like, normal games, because, you know, October I just play horror games and stuff. So, like, I'm trying to get, like, back into maybe some games I put on the, the back burner earlier this year. So, playing some Earthbound, and I plan to finish Ghost of Tsushima and Final Fantasy VII Remake. Okay. Uh, Melanie, what have you been up to? I started playing Bard's Tale. Okay. Which is really fun. Carrie Ellis yeah. does the main uh, voice acting in it. And I also, I don't know, I didn't check it out, but I'm pretty certain that Warwick Davis does a goblin's voice because it sounds just like his uh, leprechaun character. And it made me very excited. So I'll have to... That's not me fact-checking. I have no idea if he's actually in it or not. But it made me happy. Mm -hmm. The one you're playing is... It's the remaster. Yeah, like those Boulder's Gate and Champions of North. Yeah, yeah. And I'm playing it on PC, so the controlling's kind of wonky. Mm -hmm. But it's really fun. And I don't know, it looks pretty good. Um, And then... Yeah, I mainly just been watching Hannibal, so okay. that's on Netflix. I don't know how that show aired on television, like network TV. It's yep. the goriest. You said you watched a couple I've episodes. I've seen a few episodes, yeah. It's so gory. Brian Fuller, mm-hmm. he's really good at doing things like in a delightful, macabre kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it's it's a gorgeous show. It's very well shot. Very nice. Yeah. So I'll, I, uh, That's one I definitely would like to catch up with uh, sometime. So. It's not a big time commitment, which is nice, because yeah. it's just three seasons. All right, uh, so I'll name a few things real quick that I've been up to. Uh, I've got some uh, some high art and low art here. So I've been going through a few of the canon films from the 80s here. To start with, I have gone through the Missing in Action trilogy, <laughs> starring <laughs> the uh, great Chuck Norris. You know, i, I got to be honest, these I, I was... I will say I'm not a big fan of these three movies. They're uh, much better Chuck Norris films. Yeah, uh, these were all pretty bad. Basically, he, he is a, a Vietnam vet, and uh, the first movie is he, him going back to Vietnam to try and save some POWs. The second movie is a prequel to when he himself was a POW in Vietnam. And the third movie uh, consists of a backstory of him and... Uh, his wife, who is Vietnamese, who he married in v- when he was in Vietnam, they try to escape when the war is over. She does not make it out, and he presumes that she has died. And he finds out years later that she's alive still. Oh, and by the way, you have a son that you didn't know about. So he goes back to Vietnam again to try and save his wife and uh, son. Very, uh... Yeah, I'll just say, like, that recap is probably all you need to know. <laughs> so, they're Rambo rip-offs, yeah. and you've never watched the Rambos. That's true. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the only Rambo I've seen is the fourth film. Like, specifically, so I think... <laughs> I think specifically they're, like, rip-offs of Rambo 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 From what I've heard... Yes. Yeah, they're just not good. Not, like, not I've, great I've movies. seen them and I just don't really remember them. I mean, you yeah. saying it, it's like, oh yeah, that's a thing. But. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about it, and it was like... Did this scene happen in one of them? Because I remember it from Cable, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> That's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, so, uh, and then uh, the other canon film I've watched recently is uh, 1989 Cyborg, uh, <laughs> starring the great Jean Claude Van Damme, and uh, I gotta say, this movie 
is pretty bad as well. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's a very muddy movie, a very brown movie, uh, which, you know, aesthetically not pleasing at all. Surprisingly, I, I, I just figured going into the film that Jean-Claude was the cyborg. That's not it at all. So that was, a, I guess, a pleasant surprise. He's just a is human. the bad guy a cyborg? No, uh, he he's actually trying to uh, rescue a lady. Uh, he's trying to take her to Atlanta. Now this is like a uh, post-apocalyptic Georgia war uh, world. Yeah, Atlanta, Georgia, uh, and she's actually the cyborg. Um, she ha- there's been a plague, and she has the cure inside her. And for some reason, Atlanta's the place that. She's got to go. Do you think that's a good pickup line? You've got the cure. You've got the cure inside you. Well, isn't Atlanta like one of the bases for the CDC? (laughs) Well, you know, you're probably right on that. Um, But uh, that's I don't know. Neither here nor there. Isn't that a plot point in Walking Dead? Yeah, that's right. That's how the first season ends. (laughs) Yeah, them going to the CDC in Atlanta. Yeah, there you go. Dude, Cyborg Two has Angelina Jolie and Jack Palance in it. Okay, I think. How about that? I think that's one of her early films. Okay, I've never seen that. Man, well, maybe that's that's coming. Are we up gonna sometime, do a huh? Jean Claude? Are we doing a series on him eventually? Hey, we I think we should do some Jean Claude stuff. <laughs> he needs to be talking. You about. haven't even seen his best stuff. No, but I've seen Double Team. Oh, uh, that's a bad film. Uh, speaking of bad, that is what Cyborg is. So, um, yeah, that awful action from the great Jean Claude. You know, the the last like twenty minutes. There's it's just an action. Scene, set piece of like him and the main baddie just grunting just it's like a lot of yeah a, a lot, lot of sounds a lot of grunting yeah mm-hmm. how does it compare to commando versus bennett you know that's what i was gonna say was that but except there see in this movie you don't get the great like sexual chemistry this movie is just 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 obscene grunting then uh <laughs> the last two things i will say i watched some things i actually liked here one would be uh um uh, called simona the desert by louis bunuel this is from 1965 and uh, i would highly recommend that uh it's kind of uh well bunuel has always been known for his surrealism this is no different and also his takedown of the church which both very apparent here and uh it's a great movie and then also I'd like to point out 1983's Variety. This is directed by Betty Gordon. Uh, she was part of like uh, a new wave of uh, women directors from New York in the 80s, uh, along with Susan uh, Seidelman, I believe is her name, who did Desperately Seeking Susan um, and uh, uh, Smithereens, things like that. But uh, this, this movie is really good. Uh, it's kind of based on Betty Gordon's life, where she became a ticket terror at a porn theater. And then uh, she kind of goes in and watches a bit of the porn and starts to kind of realize her sexual desires and fantasies. It's a little bit, has in common with like Boonwell's Belle du Jour a little bit. So I'd highly recommend that. Are you guys ready to get into the episode? Well, we talked about Commando earlier. Right. We got a Commando connection. Okay. Dan Hidea. Because he's the bad guy in Commando. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's your lead-in. Everything ties back to Commando. Did we do an episode on Commando? Yeah, you idiot. I thought we did. That's one of that's one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. That hotel, motel, whatever you want to call it, scene. And, uh, you know, if you, if you want to hear a great breakdown of that scene, just go back to the Commando episode. 
Because I don't think life gets better than that. That episode or that movie? That movie. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. right. With that being said, we're going to be talking about the Coen Brothers 1984 Mm -hmm. film, Blood Simple. You know, people do talk about neo-noirs a lot, but I, I think a lot of folks tend to go back to the older ones, so... I think this is this is a good time to talk about uh, one that maybe isn't talked about as much. So. Yeah, I think it's just in general in that vein it's not talked about, but for the Coens it's not really talked about as much as their other stuff. Very true. What were you guys' just first thoughts of Blood Simple? This Stacey. is Stacy's first viewing. Yes. Oh, yeah. It, it's one of a, a couple of Coen films that I had not seen, so I was excited to watch it. I like it. I think that it's... Um, I don't know. It, it it's definitely more style over substance, and I feel like it's kind of like a first draft for things they're gonna do better later in their career. And that's not like me poo pooing on the film. Like I think it's a great film um, that fits in with a bunch of films from this time that were doing noir. You know, I think it's you know worthy of some of those. I just think that it's not in the upper echelon of their work. Where I'm, you know, my mm-hmm. taste are. Okay. But I, I did like the movie. I'm probably just not as high on it as you guys are. Okay. Melanie? I agree in that I think it's... I wouldn't put it in my top five of their films. I do like this movie a lot. I think it's a hell of a debut. And I definitely think they lay the groundwork here and the foundation for what they're going to build upon and perfect later. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really good-looking film in the score... I mean, Carter Bruel's score is mm-hmm. fantastic. The cinematography is great. I like the lighting, despite everything they say about it now. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like it a lot, man. Yeah, uh, I love this movie. Uh, this is probably my third time seeing it, so I've seen it a few times. Uh, yeah, I think it's a really, uh, a, no, hands down, a great debut. And as you both said, they would go on to make better films but uh i find this one very charming uh it's a very dark movie um but as you both said as well a lot of themes that they would go on to continue to explore really start in this movie you can we'll talk about them but uh, there's a number of things that uh, when i think of the coen brothers i see that in this movie yeah i I really like this movie a lot yeah their trademarks are already on it Mm mm-hmm I think it's interesting the time when this movie came out because film noir, it went away for a little while, but then it's like in the seventies, it came back with, you know, Chinatown and long goodbye. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like in the eighties, it really hit big again with like, you had all those directors from that time, like doing these explorations of noir, Mm -hmm. like, you know, Raffleson remade postman always rings twice you know, you've got Blade Runner, which is, you know, famous sci-fi noir. Body Heat, which is basically a remake of Double Indemnity. Mm-hmm. Um, you it's have the De Palma that. films, mm-hmm. which are kind of like a mix between noir, Hitchcock, and... Um, why can't I think right now? The Italian... Giallo? Yeah, Giallo <laughs> films. Which those in themselves are kind of like an extension of noir films. Mm-hmm. Sure. But there, there's so many, you know, from the 80s, uh, Angel Heart, American Gigolo, like a lot of these films have like noir leanings or are just straight up redos of some of these movies, you know, from the 40s and 50s. Right. 
directed by the Coen Brothers, 1984, Breaking Up is Hard to Do. The owner of a seedy small town Texas bar discovers that one of his employees is having an affair with his wife. A chaotic chain of misunderstandings, lies, and mischief ensues after he devises a plot to have them murdered. Our players in this film, we got John Getz as Ray. We have Francis McDormand as Abby. Dan Hedaya as uh, Marty. M. Emmett Walsh as Lauren Visser. And Sam Art Williams as Maurice. I think that is uh, pretty good of, of our main players here. Mm-hmm. As we start this off, we basically get a voiceover from M. Emmett Walsh talking about complainers and also talking about Texas. I love this opening. I don't know about you guys. I like to think that in general he's talking about uh, just complainers and in the in the state of Texas. <laughs> well, I also think that throughout the film when he because he talks about Russia, he does. And I think that he there's like a comparison going on between America and Russia. Like he he talks about how well, in that opening monologue how they like all work together and mm-hmm. like that's and but like in Texas you're all on your own. That's right. And you know, when later in the film when he's talking to Marty about um, you know, the deal, he, he you know, for the $10,000, he mentions that Russians only make 50 cents a day. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, that $10,000 versus you know, the 50 cents. Right. You know, it it kind of brings like this whole like capitalism versus mm-hmm. you know communism. Sure, I, I just thought it was like a nice underlying yep. like interest for the character. Well, and it's not overstated. Right. No, it's just very mm-hmm. slightly peppered in there. And well, this is like in the middle of the Cold War, right? End when I was speaking, gonna say Rocky is getting and, ready. And, to... Yeah. Oh yeah. The... Going off your point there, Stacy, uh, especially about the the spread out in the space, like it shows that very nicely in the film because i think it does have some pretty interesting wide shots of just planes and vistas uh, through texas and kind of in a negative space almost type of type of view a lot of those shots i also think that they use location in their films films like this like i think fargo is also a good example where they use Mm -hmm. the location where also no country does Mm -hmm. this where these things happen in these remote locations because mm-hmm. it could only happen here. Like you, yep. you can imagine somebody getting murdered in Texas and nobody ever finding out or caring. That's and right. Just burying them in the middle of the field and yeah. mm-hmm. driving away. <laughs> like, granted, it does look like that's a cornfield, so someone's gonna find out about it. But <laughs> but it's... yeah, he he does do a great job on his end. Uh, after this kind of intro, we meet uh, Abby and Ray. Uh, they're in a car together, and they're. We kind of get the understanding that they are together, they like each other, and that one of them has left a relationship, or so it seems. And we get further proof of that here in a second. Well, all, in this, I also find it interesting that, because you're, you're dumped into it, you don't really know what's going on, you kind of get like some innuendos through the dialogue, and I love that he describes his profession as a marriage counselor. Mm-hmm. And then you, 15 minutes later, you find out he's a bartender. That's right. Like, I think that's a fun, mm-hmm. cheeky way to describe a bartender. Absolutely. Uh, after this, we uh, meet uh, Marty. As you pointed out, Melanie, while you're watching, he has a nice bottle of Alka, old school Alka-Seltzer on his desk. 
Also a glass of milk. So Which putting alka like seltzer in milk. The most disgusting combo. The only thing you see him drink in this is milk. It's so yeah. gross. I mean, no wonder he has the burps all the time. I, I, that's not helping him. I wouldn't think. Maybe yeah, I'm wrong. Your throat. Yeah. Well, that's why he bombs. Yeah. So nasty stuff there. Mm-hmm. You know. And he's just he's got a carton of milk setting out too. So yeah. it's warm milk at that. <laughs> so, warm milk in Texas. Yeah. But bad, bad combo right there. I love milk, but ugh. Yeah. No. And so we meet him. We also meet Lauren Visser here, played by the amazing M. Emmett Walsh. Does it ever actually say his name? Like, it we, doesn't. We see no, it, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. we no. see it on the mm-hmm. lighter. Right. But mm-hmm. or the zippo. Yeah. But yeah, him just being a a figure, and and the, we'll we'll talk about it a little bit later. Yeah. But the Coens, they start this and and they really continue it in a lot of their movies as like he is that figure of like chaos of someone that's he's the catalyst yeah. for all mm-hmm. of this. It's yeah. just he's just this kind mm-hmm. of what I call a chaotic evil is what I call it. Uh, that's his alignment. Yeah, for his character mm-hmm. sheet. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, uh, anyway, uh, so these two are having a conversation, uh, and Marty show, uh, asks Visser, we'll just call him that, that's, I think that's his name, about some photos, because we've come to find out that he's a private detective that Marty has hired, and he is spying on his wife, who is Abby, and he shows them pictures that Ray and Abby are together, and Marty is clearly upset. They have a nice conversation. Well, it's it's interesting because he sent Visser to go tail them. Yeah. Like he just wanted to, he hired the PI just to confirm his beliefs. I think he already knew mm-hmm. something was going on. Like, he obviously doesn't trust his wife through dialogue. We get that. Yeah, but... we, we kind of get that from, from things he said. We haven't, we don't see it technically with her. Like, that she's been with other guys, but just kind of from... Well, we don't... Yeah, we don't see anything with their relationship. It's kind of all about what what he says, basically. Yeah, you get the sense that he... I mean, they live in a very nice house, even Mm -hmm. though he just... Right. Runs this... He's probably got some shady going on. Yeah, there's something going on, Mm -hmm. it feels, but he seems like someone... He's older than her. Mm -hmm. She's very young, and the power dynamic is out of sorts, and it seems like... He's probably was overbearing and very possessive and dominant in their relationship, and it pushed her away. Yep. And Ray is like the complete opposite of that. He lives in a very small house. Mm -hmm. He's just a bartender. He's very seems quiet and open. Very open about his feelings. You know, in Greece, they would cut off the head of the messenger that brought the bad news. That don't make much sense. No. Made them feel better. Well, first off, Julian, I don't know what the story is in Greece, but in this state, we got very definite laws about that. Second, I'm not a messenger. I'm a private investigator. And third, most important, it ain't such bad news. I don't know what you guys felt, but like the first time I watched this movie, like I immediately clung to the M- Emmett Walsh character. Like this, he's the type of character I love in movies that like 
the way he presents himself and the way he talks and the way he laughs, I'm just like, I want to see that guy on screen. I think that's a good point, though. Like, I I think that's kind of a flaw in this movie is that You're I don't care them. about the protagonist. And I'm not even rooting for anybody. I guess I'm just wanting to see what happens. I tend to not root for anybody in Cohen films. Yeah, I, that's... Again, I, I each person has their own thing with that. But yeah, it, it doesn't bother me at all. Like, I kind of am the same way. Like, whatever happens, happens. For, like, their other films, they do genuinely have very strong characters. I think this film is shockingly underwritten for them. Because really, it is the M. Emmett Walsh character that is... He, he's got all of the good stuff. None of the other characters really stand out. Marty's got some alright stuff here and there, but... It, like, like you're the protagonist and honestly like 50% of my problem might be John Getz isn't his best self without his beard okay that's that's fair <laughs> I don't like Dan Hedaya in this I don't mind him I don't have any strong feelings about him I guess like yeah I, I mean I'm with Nolan like M.M. Walsh is really the only one that stands out like oh no I agree with that like Francis doesn't have enough screen time and her character like the characters feel like devices to make the story play out like they don't feel like characters well it is interesting like in a noir film the dame isn't a big part of it yeah this i would say like really the the main instigator is the walsh character it is kind of an interesting like it's something they do very well with like a lot of their stories are noir-ish but they typically typically when i think of noir films i think of detective stories or, like, dames that made a guy do something wrong mm -hmm. or something stupid. And they don't really do that. They are more interested in ordinary people doing stupid things that are over their head. Well, right. everything's spiraling mm -hmm. out of control. Yeah, that's and that's what actions. this movie mm -hmm. is. It's just yep. a bunch of people who are in over their heads. And, you know, Abby could be seen at... Ray's motivations are very classic noirish, Like... He is going to finish off Marty because he thinks that Abby went there to go kill him. Mm -hmm. so, well, his whole start of it is But it's he just sees, a misunderstanding. Yeah, he sees him, yeah. Marty gets shot. He sees him in the chair and he thinks because of Abby's gun, mm -hmm. which is something I think in her first line of dialogue, she talks about this pearl handle gun that Marty gave her mm -hmm. as a gift. Here's a douchey thought. Could the gun be a character itself in this film, guys? No. That was, like, film school douche coming out. <laughs> and you know it. That's no. why you gave it a tagline. <laughs> now, is that an actual thought that you have that it you put not. a funny voice I just on? wanted to. I just wanted to have... <laughs> I mean, you could say the camera, you know, out. like, perspective is a character, but... I think the use of sound, every time Marty calls, when he's sitting in the office, he has that big fan over the back, his office mm -hmm. in, the, in the bar, that big fan that's over him, and you just hear the... Mm -hmm. Well, and the computer, like that, the computer is the signal in his silence on the phone calls that you know it's Marty because you hear the, like the beep when it refreshes. Yeah. yeah. And I gotta say, uh, well, I, I again, I, I understand your complaint. I, I gotta say with this movie that Walsh is enough for me as someone to cling to. Whenever uh, you think of PIs, mm -hmm. what type of figure do you think of? Do you think of something seedy or do you think of something suave? I... I guess I think of something more suave, personally. Sam Spade. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bogart. And do you like that they've turned that on its head? I do. With I do. Walsh? Yeah. Uh, he is absolutely a disgusting 
character. I mean, Gross. he is he very nasty. All the time. Yeah. Well, in most of their films where they have a PI involved, it is usually somebody schlubby no, or I know. That's, completely out of their depth. And I, that's something that, mm-hmm. again, a trademark for them that they carry yeah. on and they build upon. Mm-hmm. It's that. It's turning expectation. Yeah, I, I think this character really, I mean, I think this is the base that would go on to inform what, what we would call better compact characters and like, you know, obviously, uh, No Country for Old Men, um, obviously Fargo, mm. things like these. But but I, I like that he is the base of these of this chaotic <laughs> evil that I like to. I guess my thinking it. on like Walsh's character is that I don't understand his motivations through the first half of the movie, and it seems like his motivations for this like the second half is to cover up what he did that doesn't really make sense. Like, well, I, I think his motivation, not, well, obviously it's money, but it's, I think he wants more money in that safe, which he obviously can't get to. Uh, Cause $10,000. That's not yeah, it's, it's a small people. amount of money. I think he's, I, I, I don't know that but he has a care, to, but then like, why would that's his point? In my opinion is, he doesn't have a care. We don't specifically need to know his motivation. But he does care enough about the lighter and to be implicated in sure. Marty's murder. Sure. And, like, that doesn't make sense to me why he would even murder Marty. Because he got paid for a thing he didn't do. And if he was just after the safe, like, it seemed like his method for getting to the safe was hitting it with a hammer. Like, he could have done that while Marty was fishing. Yeah, I guess my mind just doesn't go there. Like, like, I get what you're saying. I just never, I don't think of it in those terms, I guess. I like to look at him as just a a chaotic person. Yeah. But I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, that was like my thing with the film is that, because most of their films are not underwritten. In fact, you could say like, when they're at their worst tendencies, like Lady Killers, their films are typically overwritten. But I I like their writing, you know, mm-hmm. typically. But this film, and I, the writing's not bad. I love the dialogue. It just feels, I don't know, like it, it's kind of missing that, like those characters that you latch onto. I mean, if I ever made a first film like this, I mean, well, yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not like, I I guess like story and writing and stuff like that is what surprised me was that it wasn't as sharp. But, like, style, like, as far as style goes, I think this is one of their more stylish films. And I really like, you know, how they use the camera, like, with all the camera movement and all the, like, Raimi-type shots. I like mm-hmm. I like the lighting, even if it's a lot illogical, which I don't think matters because... Most film, people don't... Film I would a, say the only people that probably notice it are... The technicians or I took lighting. No point was I ever like, oh mm-hmm. man, that is the motivation for the lighting is yeah, there. yeah. Right. Well, because it, it's it is about that style. Like that's why we like um, you know giallo films is because of the style. Like the right. the lighting doesn't have to make sense. It's that it looks good and compelling. Mm-hmm. I think there's still enough there where it's not all style over substance. I think Walsh mm-hmm. is enough for me. No, I don't need a lot from. From Marty, Ray, or Abby. Uh, well, as you, you guys talk about the, the look of the film, the lighting, real quick, let, 
uh, it's a very neon movie. Uh, I would say this um, is maybe the most neons that I can recall other than maybe Michael Mann's Thief. I was like, <laughs> if you're going to say this is the most yep. neons, can we talk about Thief for a second? Yeah. Uh, I love the look of this movie. It, it And we watched a little bit of kind of the Coens talking about this movie on, on the Criterion disc, but... They did talk about how this is a much different looking film than a lot of the rest of the movies as far as those, the color scheme goes, which I agree with. I think it's, they don't really come back to this palette that I can recall. No, I feel like most of their movies, like especially their modern films that they do with Deacons, I feel mm-hmm. it's more muted mm-hmm. and natural. Yeah, yeah. Muted, um, natural, and dusty. dusty this is yeah. very stylistic. Mm-hmm. Hearing them talk on those special features... Mm-hmm. It kind of just bummed me out because it's like <laughs> them kicking the younger versions of themselves, and they're very hard on on themselves. It, yeah, and yeah. you can take like a still from almost mm-hmm. any point in this movie. Yep. So it's weird to me that they really think it's because I think they think it's a very bad film. If you also got to think like the way that filmmakers think, like a lot of the films that we love from filmmakers like, especially those early films, like, they don't think as highly. Like, George Lucas doesn't think Star Wars is his best film. Well, yeah. Highly doubt Spielberg thinks Jaws is his best film. Wait, uh, like, I, yeah. I think that they think, like, if I could do it now, well, most I would of the time, do it this way. I think it's the hardships on those sets, too. Sure. Man, we had, yeah. like, a nickel and a string. Right. And we tied that shit together. And, you know, a lot of artists think as they mature, they're that they think their work gets better. Yeah, you know. which... Thank God that other people don't mess with their property as much as Lucas. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> but, sorry, no, what were you going to say? No, no, no. That's, you say that good. as the re-edit of Godfather 3 is about to come and out. Rocky well, 4. <laughs> yeah. Sans Roma. The, that Coppola really, he he messes a lot with his stuff. Like um, I said there's not yeah, so he, many. He just put sure. out a... Like, what, within the last year, didn't he redo Cotton Club? Yeah, I redid Cotton Club, uh, you know. The Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse now he put out a new cut. A lot. Yeah, um, he, he likes to tinker with stuff quite a bit, Here's too. the thing. I'll take any of that tinkering over making... Yeah. Well, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm very interested to see this new Godfather 3 cut. I don't think Godfather 3 is bad, and I don't think he can cut out what's bad in Godfather because 3. Because it's an essential part of the story, I agree. Yeah, I'm... I'm interested to see what he does with yeah, it. Yeah, but I mean, I like all the Godfather films. I think people trash on three way too much. I'm a Coppola fan, although I, like every, a lot of people, he has made bad movies as well. But I'm always interested in what's going to happen there. Back all to right. Blood Simple. Yes. I feel like we derailed. <laughs> we did. I thought it was kind of interesting in the hotel room. I know they didn't make, like mean it for this, but like they're having an affair in a two-bed yep. like bedroom. And kind of cheeky, you know, like keeping up the image of like, you know, separate. Yeah. Obviously, they did it probably because of space, and it's easier to shoot in a, well, a larger hotel. I think room. in one of those special features, they say it was the largest, widest yeah. thing they could find right. in Texas to shoot in. But I, yeah, but I, I agree with. But luck there. having an affair with the windows, all of the windows in this film wide open. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen Blood in the Moonlight, Will? <laughs> Sometimes people like it with the windows open. Who knows? You've heard it here, folks. Kind of, as you pointed out, we find out that Ray is having an affair with Abby, which is, uh, Abby is Marty's wife. Uh, I put down that Marty is a bit of a racist asshole. 
as he kind of has a conversation with Maurice. And also with when he was talking to M. Emmett Walsh's character, uh, M. Emmett Walsh, like, kind of backhandedly says, uh, at least he's not black. Texas. Like, mm-hmm. Right. Yes. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not the whole yeah. state, but there's some disgusting things there. Very much. We can all agree. So, yes. Well, especially in, like, early 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we also find out that Ray worked for Marty uh, at his bar, uh, and Marty owes him two weeks' pay, but uh, he's basically not going to pay him. We get a scene of Ray and Marty kind of sitting down out outside the bar, bar out back, talking it over. We get the uh, look of the incinerator, which would come into play. Not as... It doesn't come into play as much as I thought it when would. When you saw that, were you thinking wood chipper? I did. What about you? Did you oh, have any thoughts yeah, of that? I think that there's a lot of MacGuffins in this mm-hmm. film. The incinerator and the lighter. Props that don't matter. Right. Well, it's almost like the opposite of when you see a gun in a scene, you know it's going to get fired. Yeah, Chekhov's gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so basically Ray is kind of uh, upset because he's not going to get his two weeks pay. Marty's obviously upset because he's having an affair with his wife, and he's like, hope you're having a good time. Never want to see you on my property again. If I do, I'll shoot you. Well, what? What, what? Am I fired? Want to hit me? What? I don't particularly want to talk to you. Well... You're not going to fire me. I might as well quit. Fine. Suit yourself. Having a good time? I don't like this kind of talk. What'd you come here for? You owe me for two weeks. She's an expensive piece of ass. Basically is what he tells Ray. The balls it takes a guy to have sex with a man's <laughs> wife like 10 hours before you go <laughs> demand him giving you money. And your boss. Or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rough go. All right. So oh, at this point, you you already mentioned it. Uh, we we really get the first, uh, at the, uh, the main theme of the film that's composed by Carter Burwell. And I, I think... Didn't you say this was 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 Carter's first work mm-hmm. on a film as well? His first feature. It's like it's a very impressive score, just in general. I I think it's a it's it's a beautiful score, but just to know that it's a first one. I think the music is my favorite thing. I agree. The music is perfect. Yeah. I don't have any complaints. I love the weird chanting music at the mm-hmm. towards the end. Yeah, Marty tries to abduct. Basically, Abby has gone to live with Ray at this point because she doesn't have. Anywhere else to go. She can't go back to her house. They go back to her house to grab some stuff. They go back to Ray's house to stay. So they stay the night there. Marty comes in basically in the morning uh, and abducts Abby from Ray's house. And they get to... of... Of the dog. Opal. They have a struggle. Marty drags her outside. And Abby, some... Is like, you know, she fins him off very well. She breaks his finger. Knees him in the balls. So hard that he vomits. Yeah, Pretty impressive. And you get that evil dead shot. That's right. Yep. That uh, that dolly zoom. Pretty sweet. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. Before this, mm-hmm. 
like after the conversation he comes back to his house and they like he's very aggressive with her about the sleeping situation yep and i find their relationship very strange in that she doesn't do anything wrong throughout the runtime of the film like uh, i mean Mm-hmm. Cheating on her husband, yeah, whatever. But, but it he also seems like seems, a dickhead. Well, yep. it seems like maybe there was she was estranged already. Yeah, uh-huh. like there's something weird happening. Yep. So I don't know. I I think that Ray's treatment of her, like with the paranoia and like, I think it makes sense for her character because clearly she she goes for toxic people. Yeah. Which I hate using the word toxic, but she sure. her type someone that is very dominant. Yeah, I'm gonna take care of you. Mm-hmm. We recognize that Ray's a dumbass. Yeah, no, Ray's an idiot. He Marty's has, a dick. He has nothing upstairs. Mm-mm. Do you think if Ray had a beard, yeah, like the glorious one he sported in The Fly, he would be a better character? Anyone that can grow a beard, that can grow a full beard, they should do that. Yeah, but would Francis go for it? In this film. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, Stathis in The Fly with you. Is, ju- is even more toxic I'm just saying, so both, maybe she'd love it. Both guys she goes after, no beard, or that she's been with in this film, no beards. I think that Dan could use a beard. Oh, I agree completely. That would change everything. I I, think, I can't imagine that. that. I don't like that. That chin is so strong. That's a strong chin. <laughs> no, I don't like that. I there, think I like it. I, I can't. You know, Adam's family. I'm thinking no. A lot of strong like chins it. in this film. Continue. Okay. So. You know, after Marty's uh, bad morning here, uh, he goes back and he uh, finds M. Emmett Walsh's character again. And he finds him uh, kind of up on some type of... It's like an it's like a lover's over, lane, yeah, overwatch mm-hmm, thing. Yeah. Like it's uh, an overlook. With some hippies, uh, you know, having they a good break time. break your pussy finger? Yeah, but kid asks him uh, uh, that... Uh, He's getting ripped. Uh, he sees Emmett. What is that girl doing next to Emmett? It's a fair question. She wants that pot. Oh, yeah. She wants the weed. I think that's right. Yeah. No, but like, there's other people in that area that had weed. Like, definitely. It does she, seem like a strange person to flock to, to, to ask for weed. Like, you're going to go to the guy in the button-up shirt tucked in with mm-hmm. his belly hung mm-hmm. over his britches? That really bad suit no. he's sporting? No, you're not. Mm-hmm. You're going to go to the guy in the mm-hmm. yellow shirt with the trucker hat. You're like, I know you have weed. Mm-hmm. Pussy finger? Yeah. <laughs> Is he the one that says that? Somebody in that entourage does. Whoever says it, good on them. You, know, that's <laughs> you what like I said. that. Yeah, I did. Uh, do you also like that Emma asks him if he hurt his, stuck his finger? Yeah. Do you have that written I down? I do have that written go down. Ahead. Yeah, well, yeah, they, get get, there. they meet and Emmett has like a, a really... Uh, nasty looking bug vehicle that he drives uh, matches his personality very well but uh they get inside the vehicle to talk and Emmett asks him stick your finger up the wrong person's ass (laughs) 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 i think it's a brilliant line obviously watching movies with nolan for the show because it's really interesting to like Watch him experience a line, and then him think about it, and then be like, scribble, 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 scribble. <laughs> like, I gotta write that down really quickly. <laughs> you, know, you know what appeals to him. I yeah. know. And what's, what's, with my head, like, I knew that line was coming, cause I, I, but still, it's like, it was like it was new for the first time again. Just washing over your ears. Mm-hmm. 
I also like that little uh, prop he has, the lady yes. with the uh, toggle uh, blinking nips. Yep, he's got a little uh, a little ornament in his car. Uh, a lady's that her boobs light up. They're uh, exposed. They yep. light up. It kind of looks like an angel, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Like it's very like it's mm. got like a white flowing. Back. Yeah, like it's weird. it doesn't. She doesn't have legs, really. <laughs> I like that Marty turns it off. I mean, I don't, think That's right. the, I don't think the character is legless. I think that it just isn't an important aesthetic. It's mainly about the boobs. I get it. Yeah. 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 Marty. Okay. So they have this conversation. Basically, Marty asks, he will basically kill Ray and Abby. Abby. And Walsh says, I keep calling him all different names. I'm sorry. It's okay. Whatever. <laughs> I'm just going to stick by Passer. Emmett. I'm just going to stick by Emmett from here on out. Everybody has a problem with that. I'm sorry. But he asks asks Emmett if he would he would kill these two. And he's basically like, well, for the right price and the right... What, now I'm going to fuck it up. What? He said, or he the, goes, we, could you... I have another job for you. And he goes... Well, if it's legal and the right price. Legal, that's what and it he goes, is. it's not entirely legal. Well, for the right price. <laughs> that's what it was. Yes, thank you. And then mm-hmm. uh, Hidea can't even say what he wants. Yep. And Emmett pushes him to like, mm-hmm. so you want me to kill him? Mm-hmm. Yep. Which and everyone knows, you do not get in a car with your P.I. and say, confirm that mm-hmm. you want a murder to happen. 101. It's a bad choice. You don't do that. Yeah. You're being recorded. Mm-hmm. Not you do it yourself. Yeah. There you go. So he offers him ten thousand dollars, and what I find in, interesting and so odd five thousand for each about this conversation is in the conversation itself, Emmett recognizes he's getting underpaid. He accepts it still. Do you think at that moment he knows he's gonna? I think kill so. Marty? That is my personal because opinion. he's like, oh, I'm gonna steal your he's money. Like this idiot. I'm gonna get everything you have. I'm gonna kill you. But that's not apparent. Like, I'm just saying that's how I felt about that character. If that's the motivation, it's not no. well done. Yeah, I'm, I, I can neither. Yeah, I, I'm not saying filmically if it's well done. I, I just that's what I I took from his character in that moment. I mean, the other thing he has going for him is technically nobody knows that he's been hired from this man, and the other characters don't know of his existence. So if he feels that if he can get away with faking that he's killed them. Even, they're never, no. they're never together. Mm-mm. Neither of our protagonists and Visser, Emmett, Walsh, they're never together. Yeah. Like even in our final scene, they're still separated. Mm-hmm. We'll That's get there at the end, but yeah. for, you know, Abby still really believes that, that Marty's the one that she's killed yeah. at the end. Yeah. But anyway, that's just whatever. That you know, that's that's my take of that situation, I guess. That he already knew going yeah. into it, like, yeah, I'll tell you I'm gonna do this. Uh, go ahead and go away for a few days. Yes. So yeah, he, he basically Marty he tells Marty to go away, go fishing, get out of town for a few days and I'll take care of it. Marty basically tells him, Get rid of the bodies however you have to. I have an incinerator behind the bar you can use the conversation, just to jump back a few scenes, conversation between Ray and Marty at the bar when they're sitting out behind it. Marty's upset. He's right. furious with Ray. And he says, you know, it's funny to me that you think she came back for you and someday she's going to look at you with that innocent mm-hmm. 
unknowing right. look, and she's going to say, I ain't doing anything funny. Mm-hmm. I haven't done anything funny. Right. And you're going to know. Yep. What's funny is her. What's funny is that I had you two following. Because if it's not you she's sleeping with, it's someone else. And what's really going to be funny is when she gives you that innocent look and says, I don't know what you're talking about, Ray. I ain't done anything funny. But the funniest thing to me right now is that you think that she came back here for you. That's what's fucking funny. Maybe other aspects of the story aren't as tight. I like the use of the line later. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is a good callback. Yeah, yeah. so sorry, just mm-hmm. to jump back in. So. Absolutely. We've gone over. Uh, Marty, is is he's going off on his fishing trip. We've got Emmett, whose uh, job is to, you know, kill Abby and Ray. Emmett goes to Ray's house, and it's a it's a scene at night. He sneaks in. He's sneaking in their house and trying to be very quiet about it. We don't not really... really, though. Like, he's, he's not because you hear his footsteps. They do a good job of building tension, though, because mm-hmm. she wakes up earlier in the night yeah. and says she feel, she thought she heard somebody, that somebody was there. They, they kind of do a thing where they kind of build her up to be a little bit of a high-strung personality. Sure. So it's just kind of discarded. and That also plays into, like, what did she go through with Ray? Yeah. Where she's that right. scared all the time. Yeah. Emmett is... Creeping through the living room there, he goes through both her purses, and I I was, that's one thing that I did, su- was surprised a little bit, like, he finds her gun, he takes it, Emmett, what the F, man, where's your gun? Why didn't you have one? Well, part of it is he's wanting to... It whole look like that, yeah, right. Yeah. But anyway, he, he gets there, he is able to take what he wants, and he doesn't get caught, he goes kind of... Behind their house, he looks through the window, sees them sleeping, takes some photographs of them sleeping. After this, we cut to back at Marty's bar. Marty is back from his fishing trip, and him and Emmett have a conversation. Emmett presents him with photos that he's taken, telling Marty that he has killed both of them, and he has he fakes these photos, basically shows him that they're both dead. Marty buys it. He goes to his safe to get them some money, get him his money. When he gets back, well, and also something this room sells Emmett Walsh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that he has five billion views. That's right. Show he says, "I want that picture back." Yeah, that picture back. Right. And Marty's like, "Yeah, yeah." So he walks over with the file in his hand to the safe. The picture he's got it kind of on the outside mm-hmm. of this envelope. And he goes down to grab the money. He slips the photo in at the same time. And whenever he pulls back, he just hands the money on top of the envelope. Yep. As if, like, it's in there. Yep. There's your money. Also, what's interesting, and maybe this is the whole motivation behind the, you know, Emmett's actions. I don't know. But Marty, upon learning that they're actually dead, gets sick and goes to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. He goes to the bathroom, gets sick. You do not hear him wash his hands, and there's a focus on employees must wash their hands sign. That's right. And it's so important that Emmett does take it with him, that right. sign, after he kills Marty. Mm-hmm. Do you think he killed Marty because Marty didn't wash his hands and he's an employee, technically? <laughs> so you think he has a Jason Voorhees level of 
You gotta do what is right. I'm just reading the text that's presented in the film. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just how you read film, is they show you a thing, and that's what it is, and... I, like I have no other leads to go off of of his motivations. Well, I've I must already, assume it's that. I've already told you my thoughts, but I like your ideas, all right? I think Why would he take the sign with him? No. No, I think it's that. Yeah. I figured this movie out. Good, Good job, you. dummies. Sometimes I really want to cut you. You don't mean <laughs> like, that. Like, I do. <laughs> cut me? Yeah. Just You're going to wake up. He's going to be standing over you. A giant butcher's knife. That'll be it. Nolan's home. You've heard it here. If there's a murder, investigate. Uh-huh. At least you have more motivation. <laughs> I know you're trying to get me around up here, but you're not You're not going to do it. You're not going to achieve it. Emmett shoots and kills Ray. Well, we think... We think he's dead at this point. Blood running down his hand. He's sitting in a pool of blood in there. Uh, next thing we know, Ray comes to the bar. I'm guessing he it, he's coming because he wants his money. Take just, what his wife just yeah. wore. He just wants his money and yeah. be done with it, right? Uh, so as he's in there, he he basically sees like a light on in Ray's or in Marty's office, and he knocks on the door. Nobody answers, uh, and he gets into the office. You get that nice shot of under the door with the lights. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the dust. Yep, the dust coming up. It's a it's a beautiful shot. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite set piece that they use. Oh, I love the lighting when Hidea opens the safe and it's just that red, unexplainable light. It, to me, it senses, like, danger. I don't think that any of the coloring in this film is intentional at all, and I don't think mm -hmm. the color story is like that. If you hear them tell it, they didn't know what they were doing, but... I, I think the lighting of the bar good. is very cool. Yeah. Marty finds Ray's body there. I find that Ray's motivations here are a bit strange. Now, as we've established, he doesn't have a whole lot going on upstairs. But he really makes a mess of things in that office. And He goes about cleaning in the worst possible yeah, way. Like there he, have to be cleaning products in yeah, that bar. He just takes off his own, like, isn't it like his own vest or jacket? But he can't go anywhere except for that room because his friend, the other bartender, comes back Maurice. with a girl. Yeah, Maurice comes True. back. True. So he can't leave to go get cleaning supplies. Yeah, but the employee bathroom's back there and there. Like, there's gotta be stuff. That's where it would be. I don't know. I mean, they might not even have hand soap because they're not washing hands. <laughs> and I, and I, I, I just, I don't think he should have touched anything. Yeah, like, yeah. He, he thinks that Abby did it and he needs to dispose of the body because right. she's going to get caught because, you know, crimes of passion and such. Yeah, and Ray is like, I do, I ripped him because he's, He's not the smartest tool, not the sharpest tool, uh, smart tools, you know? Yeah, he, he is not the brightest, but... The way he goes about it, rubbing the blood, yeah. and then taking it, and then just... Right, leaving a mess on his way. <laughs> Got yourself in a pickle peen. He's like, it's not comfortable anymore, it's trash. You know, I'm going to do so much editing out. But yeah, uh... uh one thing I do enjoy, though, is, is just, like, he is, you can tell he is not a person that commits a lot of crimes the way he goes about trying to get out of the situation. He looks like, especially 
so he goes through, cleans, he's just spilling blood mm-hmm. the entire way to the washroom, all the way yep. back. It's awful. Yep. And then he grabs a white towel. Yep. Which, why does a bar have a white towel? No, I, I think if you see, like, bars in movies, 99% of their towels are white. That's disgusting. I'm just telling you. You can check it. What other movie are you thinking of right now? Well, I'm just, like, the show Cheers. Do they have white towels? Pretty sure. How about Roadhouse? Probably white towels. White shirts, for sure. Tight white. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We know about that. Jasper. Anyways, I think it's good acting. John Getz, like, he looks very troubled the next day. After he's done all these things, which will, that's like. I do like the way, like, his, his, his mind just, like, gradually just. Mm-hmm. Not going, not doing so well. Nolan and I talked about this a little bit while we were paused watching the movie. Blood simple. Mm-hmm. So what that term actually means, the frenzy feeling you get after you've killed somebody or think you've killed somebody. Yeah. You do stupid things, like simple in the yep. head. <laughs> Ray takes Marty's body. He puts him in the back of his car. Uh, this is like the one time the incinerator is actually used. Uh, he For a second. <laughs> For a nanosecond. Yep the shirt or towel or whatever he's been using. Yeah, the wherewithal to, to do that at least. To dab the blood up with he throws it into the incinerator. Drives off. As he so he, he drives off, heading down a road. Marty is still alive. He like see he hears like a wheezing and then he looks yep. and he sees a movement and he pulls over and runs out of his car. Yep. So still alive. He Marty <laughs> gets out of the vehicle and like gets out on the other side, does a crawl and Ray is kind of, like, bewildered. He doesn't know what to do. So, like, he has a different thoughts running through his mind. At one point, it looks like he's contemplating running him over. Then he grabs a shovel out of his car when he decides not to do that. And he takes his shovel and he goes towards Ray. And we think he's going to bash him to death till he dies with the shovel. That doesn't happen. Then a semi-truck comes down the road. He sees that in the... He sees the headlights... So he takes Ray's body, has to, like, put him back in the car, hoping that the semi doesn't see him. Well, and then you get another MacGuffin they lay down because Marty vomits blood right. on Ray's back. And it comes into play in a shot later, but nothing is ever done or said with it. Yeah. Where, mm-hmm. like, he turns around, she sees blood on his back. Right. But, like, there is no reaction or inquisition or anything about it it's just yep, yep. that's the thing yep mm-hmm. I, I think it's interesting how they use MacGuffins in this yep ray decides is he drags his body out there's like some type of i don't know if it's a cornfield or <laughs> drives the car out there uh finds a spot to dig up a grave digs it up it's a very shallow grave too shallow grave that's, it it's, is it's yep. a shallow grave in the middle of mm-hmm. a field they're going to find yep. him. Yep. obviously going to be harvest in what's about uh, seven months. better life burial this or stepbrothers the right <laughs> answer is casino but <laughs> is it is, is that a question stepbrothers you were lost i mean i love the stepbrothers the burial sequence but come on I mean, are we being funny or real? That's what I got. We're know. being real. Casino. Casino's very upsetting. It is. <laughs> one of one of the most upsetting scenes, I think, mm-hmm. ever for me. As he's burying him alive, uh, Marty takes out the gun. It's is Abby's gun. Abby's gun yeah. That Ray had put in his pocket. Something that we didn't talk about. Didn't... at the Whenever... I'm sorry I keep jumping back like 15 no, minutes okay. ago. This is probably the messiest podcast. I'm so sorry. Abby, whenever they go to the house, mm-hmm. her and Ray go to the house, 
uh, to grab her. Essentially, she's just grabbing the purse with the gun in it. She pulls out a box of ammunition. She pours it in her yep. hand. There's only three bullets. Only three. So when she loads it, you can see there's one that's used to kill Marty. Whenever Ray comes through the bar, he kicks the gun by accident mm-hmm. and shoots, shoots it. it. That's two. Well, and they do a good job of building tension with that scene because when Marty's getting buried, he built, pulls the gun up mm-hmm. and clicks and clicks and you think it's going to go off mm-hmm. and shoot Ray. Yeah. <laughs> they put they plant the scene in your brain that way, like with the scene, like you know there's one shot left. Because you have So when he's pulling that trigger, you think like, well, oh shit, he's going to shoot him out here and they're both going to be shot out in the boonies. Which would have been a funny ending as well. Yeah. Farmers tend to their... They're constantly in their field. They're not going to be happy about those car tracks, that's for sure. I'll tell you that. Coming from a grandson of a former farmer. Does that sound right? <laughs> so the way the Coens sold the film, they did it very much how Sam Raimi funded Evil Dead. It was like... Door-to-door. Door-to-door salesmen of mm-hmm. like, please look at this clip that we have of the movie we're trying to make. Will you invest? Like they, yeah. they went to doctors lawyers, all sorts of people with deep pockets to just be like, do you want to invest $5,000, $1,000? And it took a year to just do that. The way that they were selling it, they had shot a little trailer with Bruce Campbell. So it's this scene that we see. And there's like some other clips of, it's not the actual footage because they hadn't shot anything yet, but you you get a sense of what the film is. And they use Bruce Campbell at, in the Marty role as he's like crawling away, bleeding out on the pavement, and you see the car in the background. This scene is what allowed the movie to be made. Yeah. Which, if you ever want to like, because I think it's very interesting, like, how these type of films get made. The Criterion disc has a lot of cool bonus features. Bruce Campbell's book, If Chins Could Talk, mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of chapters in there about like raising money, like, door to door to get Evil Dead done. That book is, is great. Uh, one thing I wanted to just get a quick, you guys' quick thoughts on this is there's very much a motif in the film of the ceiling fan. The easy thing to be is just like this circular, like of just the stupidity that keeps... Cyclical, yeah. Yeah, and then towards the end, the very end, we get a drip instead of the, the ceiling fan, like, you know, the, the shit has finally hit. But I just wanted to get your guys' thought on... That motif, do you have any? I, I thought it, I think it's kind of cool. That well, it goes I mean, back you can also film. take it back to like the original noir film, Maltese Falcon. Like, mm-hmm. one of the things that it's notable for, you know, it, which Citizen Kane is too, came out the same year, was uh, they would do a lot of like high angle shots sure. or low angle shots to, you know, show the yeah. ceiling mm-hmm. so you know that they're not yeah. shooting on a, right. a, a sound stage, yeah. which that is be that became an aesthetic for sure. that. Subgenre. Yeah, a lot of low angles here. Uh, we get a lot of. There's a it's lot a of very, shots of people walking, in particular their boots or shoes. I was gonna say it's very tight shots mm-hmm. on just like segmented yeah. things. Mm-hmm. But you do as in Marty's office mostly. You do get the. Mm-hmm. It's a wide shot from down yeah. low, and you. So mm-hmm. we're talking. Like, what is your favorite shot in this film? Oh, uh, the end. I I love the end. Uh, as we'll get to, but like, like the light through the wall. Oh yeah, I think it's. I love that set piece of her apartment. I love the geography of his hand being caught under the window mm-hmm. and him trying to shoot his way out through the other side and just the way, yeah, they shoot the light through those holes. I, I find it a very pleasing composition. Well, I think they, they thought they had something there with that shot because it they was in it. that little trailer yeah. they made. 
I, I think I really like the, the tracking shot on the Chuck Taylors. Yeah. The bartender's I, wearing when he starts the I, mm-hmm. uh, jukebox. I like both of the... I like the dolly shot that they... that Like the on film, the bar? The film's really noted for, but yeah. I love Maurice's shoes, him in all white, mm-hmm. him playing the four tops. Once he gets on the bar, the, like, the skip. Little, yeah, like, kickball yeah. change really quick, and then... Tr- Smooth. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I love Maurice. Yeah. We haven't talked about him much, but he's that's true. he's not in it enough. That's that's very true. He he's a good character though. Mm-hmm. After all this has happened, we get back to Emmett. He realizes he's left his lighter in Marty's office, like we talked about earlier. After he shot him, uh, now we get to the point where Abby and Ray are having conversations. He a Ray shows up in the morning back to their house, and Abby is. Confused about what's happening because well, Ray calls her, her from yeah. a phone booth like and at I five really, in the morning. Yeah, I yeah. love the look of him, the shot of him in the phone booth, him his hand on it, mm-hmm. and he looks so tired yep. and disturbed by what he's done. He is, and he just it. calls her to say that he loves her at five in the morning, and she's like, "Okay, what? This yep. is weird. Yep. Like we just we boned in a hotel. We, yep. What is this? She doesn't understand what's going on. Ray, she definitely doesn't feel as strongly about yeah, Ray as Ray, as Ray does. About her. Absolutely." And Ray's upset because he thinks Abby has is the one who initially shot Marty. So he's confused about everything as well. And more than confused, he's like kind of pissed about the whole situation, I would say. He basically, I think he's wanting her to, wanting and her to tell him what, you know, that what she did. He goes there and both mm-hmm. of them think that the other one has done something terrible. Right. Mm-hmm. Which and, he's got blood yeah, it's what, on the back of his shirt, but yeah. it's also, there's drips of it on the front. So she can see it immediately. Yeah. Yep. So all this kind of goes on. Uh, is there anything you guys want to get to before we get to our final sequence? She gets a phone call while he's there yep. having this little, he's interrogating her, but she doesn't know it. Yeah. Obviously no idea because he doesn't say anything. He doesn't even say Marty's dead. Well, she thinks they got into a fight. Yeah. yeah she like an altercation. Fight, but she gets a phone call. Yeah, she gets a phone call and he's like, uh, who was that? Was that... It, no, no, it's Emmett on the other line, but he doesn't say anything. Right. She thinks it's Marty. Because that happened earlier. She turns and he's like, who was it? Well, it was Marty, whatever. But or this might happen before, I can't remember. But she like does the turn to him and mm-hmm. she looks at him with this confusion and innocence. Yep. And she's like, I haven't done anything mm-hmm. funny. What are you talking about? Yeah. So we get the yeah. call back to that line. So basically, the in our end of the film here, they're back at Abby's apartment, and Ray is there with her. Which the, it's her apartment, so it's a loft style apartment. Yeah, it's big windows, huge arch windows. Yeah, old wooden floors, brick. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. Downtown Austin. Again, no one has freaking blinds or curtains on any of their windows. So right. wide open. It's wide open space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, outside, we've got uh, Emmett. He's got uh, some sort of a sniper he, gun. So he was, he's been tailing Ray. <laughs> Pistol. Sniper gun. Sniper gun. Sniper <laughs> weapon. Okay. He's been tailing Ray. Ray finally saw him. No, None of our protagonists have a scene with him, but he has been tailing Ray. Yep. And Ray... I think it clicks like, oh, she's probably in danger. Yep. So he goes there to help her. Yep. She comes in, turns on the lights. Ray gets mad, like, which we do get. Why you have lights on? Turn them off. An omen of this whole situation because yep. she has a dream when she she yes. goes to the bar. She sees that it's been ransacked, and then she's like, Ray's lost his freaking mind. Mm-hmm. So she goes home, 
goes to bed yep. then and has a has a dream about Marty, Marty coming back to visit. Yep. Yeah. And we get another call back in dialogue because she says or he says, I love you. And she's like, I love you too. And he's like, no, you're just saying that because you're afraid. You're afraid. Yep. And mm-hmm. she, she wakes up from this. So yeah, uh, basically turns on the lights. Ray says, what are you doing? Turns the lights off. Then she's like, what are you so afraid of? Whatever. She turns the light back on when she does that. The way that this is playing out, both of them think the other one knows what's happened and they have no idea. He wants to protect her. And she's, he's like, turn the lights off, someone's looking. And she's like, why? Let him see. Like, what right. are you going to do to me? Like, there's people next door, whatever she says. He's trying to save her. Yep. Turns him back on. And Emmett, you know, lets Ray have it. With the sniper just, weapon. Just shoots him with that sniper <laughs> weapon, right? Right in the chest, you know? Good blood squirt. <laughs> Good squib work. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All squib work. So, yeah. Ray bites it. Abby has, we don't see it on screen, but she, because, you know, obviously a bit freaked out, mm-hmm. goes to the next apartment Well, over. she, so once he gets shot, she realizes, like, mm-hmm. I think it clicks, like, Mar- Marty's trying to kill us. Yeah. So that's what she thinks. That's She's right. like, Marty is in a jealous rage. So she moves, and at the last second when she moves, a lamp gets shot out because yep. someone's trying to shoot her. She takes a light bulb out with her shoes. Or her heavy heels. Her wedges. She knocks the light out. So Okay, dick, okay I'm no, sorry. You're, no, you're She's totally on the right. floor by the window when she takes out the, the bulb. She Once goes, the light goes out, then she goes. She runs to the bathroom. Okay. And then through the bathroom, she sneaks out. Sneaks out the window and goes to the next. Yeah, yeah, that's she, right. That's she, and it's not even like an apartment. Yeah. Sorry about honest. that. No, you're fine. It's, it's another like, room in her apartment. Yeah, or, it, yeah, it looks like either, it's either in her apartment or, because she goes out, she's in the hall when she comes back in. Whenever Ray leaves, when he has the blood on his shoulder earlier in the day, he sets her gun down right next to her front door. Mm-hmm. She comes in, mm-hmm. she sees the gun because her front door is open. Mm-hmm. She's coming through the hallway on the outside of her apartment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yep. Either way, she goes to another area, yep. she climbs through a window, shuts it, and he, at first, whenever he goes into her bathroom, he detectives it, which, there's nothing that he has done that makes me believe that he's actually this smart. <laughs> well, <laughs> and see, watching the movie for the first time, it's like, you don't really know where it could go, because both of them, because when she goes to the bathroom, you know, she looks at out the window, she looks down, there's a shot of her looking down. Which she's it, over... Several floors up. Yeah concrete below so he does the same he starts listening to the next room so he's listening mm-hmm. through the wall and then he sticks his hand out as he's listening out the window mm-hmm. he snakes it over and he feels oh there's another window here which is a stupid thing for him to do why would you yeah why are you showing your phalanges out there yeah like what are you gonna do like, like i got you, a perfectly good unit for you to if stand. you open that window like what's gonna happen yep well and talking of dumb people i Obviously, I don't think Emmett is the uh, the brightest guy either. That's why I don't think mm-hmm. he even finds that room. Yeah. I think he's just like, well, shoot. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, everybody in this movie is kind of a dumbass. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, he, he he sticks that hand over, and she pushes the one, throws the window down on his hand, sticks a knife. She pins him with into the Into that hand. Yeah. He is in a bad situation, because he can't do anything. So, the only thing he can think of is, take my gun out. He has a gun now. He starts shooting at the wall. 
And it, it's a really, I think it's a lovely shot. You see in the shot, you see his hand in the window. She's in a dark room and he starts shooting, which is her very well lit, bright white bathroom. And you just get these shadows, the cascade of the light. At this point, he finally gets out of the situation because after he shoots the holes, he doesn't hit her. But he takes his hand and punches, a, keeps going at the drywall, finally gets through. He, he will fix the fucking drywall. That's right. Uh, gets through that drywall, pulls which, the knife out of his hand yeah. from the other side, which seems very painful. That shot is so long. It's such a <laughs> it slow yeah. shot. They're on the hand and the yeah. knife for so long. So painful. During this time, we get Frances. She runs back yep. out and she goes through her door to where the gun is. That's right. Grabs the gun. Yep. She kind of sits across in her apartment from where the bathroom is. Yep. She shoots Emmett through the wall, or through the door. Yeah, through I'm the door. I'm sorry, through no, the door. because she, she's waiting. She yep. hears him get up. Like, you're basically just relying on the sound at this point. Yep. And there's a little bit of light that we get from, like, the cracks underneath the door mm-hmm. and where the door is open on the I side. like how this is shot a lot, too. I do, too. Yeah. Uh, shoots him through the door. Basically, a, a shot in the gut. Okay. So he's down. And that's where we get the nice kind of ending shot with... Him on the ground, looking up at the sink. It's an exposed pipe underneath, yep. and it's just a single uh, yep. sink. Like, it's there's no counter space. And He's just looking up at the pipe being moving. Looking up, seeing that drip coming down towards him. Mm-hmm. And, and he's The done. horror of the drip. She thinks it's Marty, so she's like, she does. I'm not scared yeah. of you. And then he laughs at that, that laugh that he has throughout the film. <laughs> I love his laugh in this movie. Emmett just, you know... I I have a I have a love for his chaos. I always like in in all a lot of the Coen Brother movies that that type of character is the one I always flock to the most. The force of chaos. Yeah. 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 And I just love it. Don't come around here anymore. If I need you, I'll know what rock to turn over. <laughs> hey, good. Yeah. <laughs> What rock, Drew? That's very, very good. <laughs> Give me a call whenever you want to cut off my head. I can always crawl around without it. This was fun. I'm glad we watched this. I love this movie. It was fun talking about it with you guys. So between Ray, Marty, Emmett, Walsh, Vassar, Vassar, Lauren, (laughs) who would you like to marry, fuck, and kill? I'll go first today. Um, I'm marrying Vassar and Emmett Walsh. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I can't think of a other human I'd love to spend my life with. Vassar is... What is, you need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd have a great time together. Do you think just that you guys would collect bringing weird, chaos. erotic, dash-hanging things? Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. <clears throat> it, that would be a thing where we'd find one at some flea market or like gas you, station. Yeah, we'd like send you guys photos are to each other and be like, what well, do you think of this one? This is a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Okay. Would you be traveling together, though? Well, you can't be together always. I mean... Because you're married. 
Yeah, but I mean, what if he has a job out of town, or like what if he's on a trip? private investigation yeah. job? Are you like a housewife in this scenario? I mean, the homemaker. He, no, he's a cat boy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but you know, I do what's needed. Let's put it that way. Sometimes he gets his hands dirty. That's right. If he needs you, me on the pussy job, finger? Well, whatever you know. So yes, I'm, I'm marrying Vassar. Mm-hmm. I am going to f Ray. And I'm going to kill Marty. Just because Mr. John Getz, I I find to be a more attractive man. I am going to fuck Emmett Walsh. <laughs> I'm going to fuck him because he seems a little wild and weird. Mm-hmm. So why not? A little okay. frisky. I'm going to marry Marty mm. because he's obviously got that bar money. Mm-hmm. He's got a pool table, so I can just sit at home, he's, drink. He's got a nice dog. Play pool. Yeah. yeah. And, like, I'm bigger than him. He's not going to boss me around. No. I'm going to be living off that bar money, whatever CD shit he's doing. That's fine. I ain't scared. Okay. And I'm going to kill Ray. Okay. Because Ray didn't have a fucking beard. And John Gets the Best Life is with a beard. Nolan, you're not going to like this. Okay. Okay, I am going to fuck Ray. Because he is the most attractive. Definitely. No beard! I know. You're like, going gonna to kill my guy, aren't you? I'm going to fuck Ray. I am going to marry Marty because I think that's the move, at least for the dog. And I'm not going to cheat on him. But if he's a shit, I'll just divorce him. I'm taking the dog and half of everything that he owns because I'm not signing a I can't believe you're going right. to do this to Yeah. Me. And, and, I'm, and Bess, Besser. I'm killing, Besser. I'm killing him. <laughs> I'm going to kill your husband. Oh, God. Why? <laughs> I don't. I don't want to. You don't find him fuckable. I. He has too many flies on him. Marty has that fly on him in the one scene. Wait, all three men involved with flies. Great job. This has been a fun episode. Enjoyed it. Before we go, you can find us on Cinema Parlor on Twitter. You can find us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Spotify at Cinema Parlor. You can find me personally uh, on Letterboxd at Chuck Madden Jr. Esclover84 on Letterboxd. You can find me at Plastic Werewolf on all social media. If you do want to follow our Twitter or Instagram account, Nolan mans those. Also, please give us reviews and ratings. It helps us, I guess, right? Yes, indeed. All right. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you.